Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In South Carolina, a series of summer thunderstorms saturate the area just before a cold-blooded triple murder shocks a small community. There were like four or five shots and a woman screamed. You have someone who was on a murderous rampage. When you look at that crime scene, it was pretty horrific. It's unusual to have a family murdered in the way these people were murdered. It just doesn't happen. I've never seen a crime as horrendous or heartrending as this one. The community was shocked. No one could believe it. Will the unpredictable weather wash away crucial evidence or give police what they need to catch a monster? Northwest of the coastal city of Charleston, South Carolina, sits North Charleston in Dorchester County. For those who've never been to Charleston, I can tell you it's a good place to come to. There's lots of things to do. There's parks, zoos. There's always some type of festival or event going on. If you come to Charleston one time, you're gonna stay here. North Charleston is the industrial suburb of the city of Charleston. The shipyard and the Air Force Base dominate that area. It's also just 15 miles from the Atlantic Ocean, which gives the area a semi-tropical climate with mild winters, but the summers can be brutal. During the summer, it's hot, I mean really hot, and really, really humid. We have a lot of thunderstorms, very severe thunderstorms that will come through during that period of the year. Because of its coastal location, North Charleston gets air masses that are either coming off of the Gulf or from the Atlantic or up from the Caribbean. It's this variety of air coming together that can be explosive, very turbulent. That turbulence can take on many forms. We have a lot of hurricanes during the warmer months of the year, and so that's a big threat to this area. You can have severe tornadoes, thunderstorms, hailstorms, and we tend to flood with those heavy rains coming in. The region is also known for sudden pop-up thunderstorms that quickly come and go almost daily during the hottest months. Seabreeze thunderstorms are ignited when the cool air from over the ocean comes in and hits that wall of humidity that we have inland during the summer. These storms develop quickly. They drop heavy rain, gusty winds, and lightning in a short period of time and then they dissipate. Then they slowly build back up as all the rain left on the ground evaporates back up into the clouds again. They are extremely difficult to predict. And on the afternoon of July 9th, 2007, several of these pop-up storms appear along the South Carolina coast, saturating the ground and setting the stage for a cold-blooded and vicious crime.
the early morning hours, a series of disturbing 911 calls come into the Dorchester County Sheriff's Office. Dorchester County 911, what's the location of your emergency? In Archdale Forest Department. Um, there were just gunshots outside of my apartment complex. There were like four or five shots and a woman screamed. I just heard um, four gunshots and someone screamed. Do you know where it was coming from? It sounded like it came from behind our building. Deputies race to the Archdale Forest Apartments and find several of the worried 911 callers outside. And while they're trying to determine what has occurred, they actually discover a door of an apartment open. Deputies cautiously approach the apartment, and a nightmare scene stops them in their tracks. When the deputies made their initial entry, they saw two bodies on the floor. It was obvious to them that this had been a scene of some type of violence. An adult female and what appeared to be possibly a child uh, or a teenager in the same similar situation. And, and it was pretty horrific, the injuries that they sustained. Deputies look closer and see they both appear to have gunshot wounds to the head. Deputies immediately call it in as they spread out to search the home. And inside an upstairs bedroom, they make another shocking discovery. They found two children upstairs asleep unharmed. Thankfully, we were able to take them into protective custody at the time to ensure their safety. As detectives are en route, deputies try to ascertain the identity of the victims. It took some time for them to get hold of the complex manager, find out exactly who's on the lease, who's supposed to be here, and who's not. That's when they learned that a family lives there a 44-year-old woman named Diane Grant, her 20-year-old son, Jatavius DeVore, and 14-year-old daughter, Deanna DeVore. Diane Grant was born in 1963 in rural Estill, South Carolina, and was raised by her father's family. Diane's family has said that her life was rarely easy, but she always had a smile on her face, and she knew the value of hard work. After marrying young, Diane gave birth to a son, Marquise, in 1981. Six years later, he was joined by a baby brother, Jatavius Lee DeVore. Diane and her husband worked hard for their family. Diane took a job with an appliance manufacturer, but both Diane and Willie's family on both sides pitched in to look after the kids. Jatavius loved clowning around and soon developed a fascination with mechanical objects. He would take apart appliances, electronics, anything basically to see how they worked. And as he got older, he became fascinated with muscle cars. And he dreamed of one day opening a speed shop or a garage with his brother. Then on July 16, 1992, baby Deanna joined the family. Deanna melted everyone's hearts and the two boys were instantly protective of their new sister. But working long hours and multiple jobs took a toll on the marriage. By 1995, Diane was a single mother raising three kids. Then six years later, Diane received a promotion at the appliance plant and relocated 90 miles away to Dorchester County. The two younger kids 
moved with Diane, but her oldest son moved to Florida to start his own life. And there he ended up getting married and having two children of his own. And Diane was overjoyed to be a grandmother. In May of 2007, Diane offered to take her grandkids into her own home for the summer so that Marquise and his wife could have a break from nonstop parenting. Jatavius, now 20 years old, and Deanna, now 14, were thrilled to help out too. Deanna was on summer break, getting ready to go into high school in the fall, and Jatavius was on leave from a technical school in Kentucky where he was studying to be an auto mechanic. Everyone was looking forward to a fun summer together under one roof. But just two months later, police are at the DeVore home, where two bodies have been found shot in the head and two toddlers found asleep and untouched. By 3 a.m., homicide investigators and CSI from the Dorchester County Sheriff's Office have arrived at the Archdale Forest Department. We were able to determine that one of the victims was Diane Grant, her adult son, Jatavius DeVore, was the second victim that was found deceased there. But where is 14-year-old Deanna? We did not know what happened to Deanna. We didn't know if she was involved. Is she a victim? Has she been kidnapped? But we did know we needed to find her and find her quickly. Detectives find themselves in the middle of a shocking and heartbreaking mystery. But the South Carolina summer climate will offer them clues they'll need to track down a killer. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In Dorchester County, South Carolina, after experiencing several pop-up rainstorms, the entire area is saturated and muggy. The ocean's water is cooler than the land, and that creates a sea breeze front. That causes thunderstorms to pop up, and these storms can drop anywhere from a quarter of an inch of rain to over five inches of rain. That can cause flooding in an area that's already pretty moist. 
While most residents are inside taking shelter from the wet weather conditions, the Dorchester County Sheriff's Office is investigating two shooting victims, 44-year-old Diane Grant and her 20-year-old son, Jadavius DeVore. Still missing, however, is Diane's 14-year-old daughter, Deanna. You can just imagine the terror that must be going through that young girl's mind. She was very likely a witness to the murder of her mother and her older brother. And now she is either fleeing from this murderer or she is being abducted and taken by force by this murderer. Is it a family squabble? Is there an ex-suitor, husband, uh, boyfriend out there who's angry? And maybe the other child's been taken? This could have been a sole perpetrator. It could be somebody that was known to the victim. It could be multiple perpetrators. Are we dealing with a murder-suicide? We just don't know. Investigators begin a careful examination of the apartment crime scene. Diane lies face up, right inside the door, with a bullet wound in her face. Just six feet away, Jatavius lies on his stomach, shot in the back of his head. Inside the entryway, they find two 40 caliber cartridge casings and a slug in the wall. When the shell casings land, they're not going to go terribly far, so they will be relatively close to where the incident occurred. We have a spent shell casing, as we did here, because a semi-automatic pistol was used, which means the shell casings are ejected after they are fired, unlike a revolver, where they would stay inside the cylinder. These shell casings were collected, and they can be matched up to a specific firearm with a, a huge degree of certainty. So this becomes a very valuable piece of evidence. And because of all the recent rains, they find another important clue. They found some muddy shoe prints in the foyer area of the apartment. They appeared to be some kind of athletic shoe. Not completely unique, but you could tell the brand and the wear patterns. It had a Nike logo actually on the bottom surface of the shoe tread and also had a circular pattern. Shoe impression depends upon, is it in such a condition that you can actually take a one-to-one -one photograph of it? And it just so happens that these lent themselves to one-to-one -one photography. CSI techs also carefully preserved the footprints with vinyl adhesive pads called gel lifters. And we'd lift that very much like you would lift a latent fingerprint. They're very unique to the individual, very unique to the individual shoe. As they search the rest of the home, Detectives find no weapon and no sign of forced entry. It could mean that the uh, victim knew the perpetrator, particularly at 2 o'clock in the morning. Why would you open the door to somebody that you don't know at, at that time of the morning? It could also mean that the person just didn't lock their door. Detectives find the victim's undisturbed wallet and purse, which indicates robbery was not a motive. It looks as if it is some kind of internal squabble, some kind of disturbance that was family-based. While they continue to process the scene, deputies search the complex in hopes of finding Deanna. We were able to determine that she was supposed to be there. We're knocking on doors and canvassing, seeing if anybody knows where she may be, if they know who her friends are. 
You know, those good concerned citizens who are willing to speak up, be involved, and actually try to assist you when you get there are a great help. A next door neighbor tells police that when he heard the shots right outside of his window, he looked and saw someone run by. Unfortunately, he was unable to identify anyone. The hot, humid July weather affected what he saw. Because of the heat, virtually everyone who has an air conditioner, it's running, it's running constantly, and it causes a significant difference between the temperature inside and outside. The neighbor's window was hard to see through because of the condensation. Condensation forms when warm, humid air contacts a cold surface. The air is contracting and all the moisture condenses. When the temperature drops, the first place you will see any condensation is on the windows. The windows are the coolest place indoors during the summer. Then, as the dawn light peeks through the densely wooded complex, police radios crackle. With the sun now up, a detective searching the apartment grounds has made a grim discovery. Deanna's body was found a short distance away behind uh, another apartment building in fairly close proximity. Investigators can see multiple visible gunshot wounds to her face and neck. It was obvious that she'd been murdered as well. The investigator's crime scene has now become much bigger. As temperatures heat up along with the threat of pop-up thunderstorms, investigators must race against the clock to gather critical evidence. You hope that you have time to do what you need to do for the weather changes on you. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The day after stray thunderstorms came through North Charleston, South Carolina, police are investigating the brutal murders of 44-year-old Diane Grant, her 20-year-old son, Jatavius DeVore, and now her 14-year-old daughter, Deanna. They found Deanna a short distance away behind another apartment building in fairly close proximity. Dorchester County detectives know they must work quickly to gather any evidence before the summer heat and humidity bring further storms. While the weather holds off for now, Investigators examine Deanna's body and notice she's covered with a thick layer of dew. She had lain out on the ground long enough that the dew had already started to settle. Her actual body temperature had fallen to the point that it was obvious that she died where she fell. They also see that not only was she shot multiple times, 
but the young girl may have endured even more trauma. She was found disrobed from the waist down. Uh, some of her uh, undergarments and her pajama bottoms were found on top of an electrical box nearby. The first thing you think of is that there's been some type of a sexual assault as well as the homicide. Her body is in a secluded spot, shadowed by multiple trees at the bottom of a forested slope. The natural shade of the trees and the humid air can prevent yesterday's rain from evaporating, and that keeps everything moist and muddy. We call this area the low country of South Carolina for a reason. Low country is just a fancy name for a swamp. We tend to be very, very swampy. In this area, to combat the moisture in order to build homes, the city added their own dirt, and it's given police an advantage. There was a footprint that was left in the mud near where Deanna's body was found. The shoe prints look similar to the prints found in the apartment entryway. So you know that the person that was in the house is the same one that was at least in the area when she was murdered. So it's able to give you that link to both scenes. CSI techs make a cast of the shoe prints, and it turns out the mud makes it easier. If the ground is exceptionally dry and hard, you're not going to get the same level of an impression as you would if the ground is slightly moist and allows for a greater and a deeper impression. During their search, police also discover three 40 caliber shell casings in the mud near Deanna's body. They carefully photograph and collect them for processing, but the weather may prevent any viable prints. Ideally, you want to go and pick these shell cases up before there's any type of storms or when the humidity is high and, you know, the dew's on the ground. If the air has a lot of humidity in it, it's difficult to lift prints off of certain items or materials. So anytime you have extreme environmental conditions, it really puts a challenge on the ability to collect evidence. Once Deanna's body is en route to the morgue, Police find two bullets and a fourth casing pressed into the muck, but no murder weapon. Altogether, the evidence paints a graphic picture for detectives. Deanna was either fleeing for her life, or perhaps she had been abducted and was being taken out at gunpoint. Either way, it had to be just an absolutely terrifying final few moments of her young life. But the killer decided not to shoot the two toddlers in the house. Why did they survive? Was it that they were asleep and no one else knew they were there, the perpetrator didn't know? Or were they not injured because of their age? Who is capable of this kind of heinous crime? Based on the footprints, you don't see multiple steps of different shoes through mud. You narrow it down to a single person. But we did not know, were they an acquaintance or an intruder? Detectives hunt for a cold-blooded killer before they can strike again. You got somebody who killed three people. If they kill three people, they'll kill more people. In South Carolina, after the tragic triple murders of Diane Grant and her two children, Jatavius and Deanna DeVore, Dorchester County detectives believe they're looking for one perpetrator. 
Investigators do have multiple 40 caliber shell casings and several distinct muddy shoe prints, which are their only clues. The fact that the ground was moist and muddy from all these prior rains was a key part of this investigation. A local woman and her two children were found murdered at Archdale Forest Apartments. When news of the murder spreads, it sends shockwaves through the North Charleston community where the family lived. A triple homicide, particularly in this area, was not common. So it immediately made the headlines. It's unusual to have a family murdered in the way these people were murdered because it just doesn't happen. You know, everybody's family oriented around here. You know, everybody looks out for each other. With all three bodies awaiting autopsy, investigators contact Diane Grant's ex-husband and their son, Marquise. Hours later, Marquise and his wife arrive from Jacksonville, Florida to take custody of their children. They are the first to sit down for a police interview. In this situation, there was no forced entry. So you're starting to look at family members or somebody in their inner circle that could have done this. Over the course of the agonizing conversations, neither Marquise nor his wife can shed any light on who could have done this. They were just completely devastated. It's hard to imagine what it could have been like for them to find out their whole entire family was killed in this horrific way. Police figure out pretty quickly that the surviving son didn't have anything to do with it. He was found to have been in Florida during the time of the crime, so they were able to exclude him pretty early. It's the same story with Diane's ex and the rest of her extended family. They were not here at the time. They were eliminated by proximity. With no persons of interest, police hope the autopsy will shed some light. When the autopsies are completed, the medical examiner determines that all three victims died around the same time as the shots were heard and 911 calls came in, around 2.30 a.m. Diane died from a single gunshot wound to the back of the head that exited the left side of her face. When you get those in the back, that's usually a panic run. They're trying to flee from what's going on. Jatavius's autopsy reveals blunt force trauma and skull fracturing on the right side of his scalp. The gunshot that killed him was also fired at close range. They were able to determine that it was fairly close proximity because of the stippling patterns on the gunshot wounds. But Deanna's autopsy shows she suffered at least four gunshot wounds. Two bullets and a fragment of another are found in her. When you discover her with the amount of trauma that she suffered, You've determined that she is the actual target for whatever reason. It's clear that the anger, the passion that this person had was greatest with her. Based on how she was found, the medical examiner also performs a rape kit. There was DNA evidence recovered from Deanna's body, so there had been a sexual assault of some type. Investigators head back to the station and check to see if they can find any other similar crimes in the area. But although the bullets from all three victims are the same caliber, they find nothing that suggests an identity of the killer. There were no other unsolved homicides that followed this particular pattern in our area, so we had no idea who the suspect was. Since Deanna appeared to be the target, detectives focus on her. 
She was a high school student, and there was no indication that she had any enemies to the point that would be willing to murder not just her, but her family. Investigators hope that collected physical evidence will be the key to unlocking this mysterious tragedy. Two days later, a forensic comparison of the muddy shoe prints from both crime scenes confirmed that they are in fact the same Nike shoe. They were able to lift a cast of a footprint that was left in the mud near where Deanna's body was found. And that cast matched up to the lift that they made from inside the apartment. It was a men's size nine Nike athletic shoe. Based on the size, investigators figure the killer is probably about 5'5 five, five to 5'6. Five, While the killer's approximate height may not immediately narrow the field of suspects, spent 40 caliber shell casings just might. A lot of people are not aware that the shell casing itself can also pick up characteristics of the firearm that's unique to that firearm. They bring the casings from both crime scenes to CSI tech Brian Sommerfeld. They bought the shell cases in me to take digital imagery and put them into the ballistic system to see if there was any matches. Those shell casings can be compared to other bullets or shell casings that have been recovered from other crimes to see if there's a match. Although no fingerprints are found on the casings, Sommerfeld confirms that all shell casings came from the same semi-automatic weapon. And when he enters the cartridge's unique profile into the system, he hits the jackpot. The database was able to provide us that this weapon had been involved in a shooting in March of that year, March 4th, I believe. They had a shooting at a bar where several people were traveling up and down the road just shooting shots in the air. And North Charleston went to that scene and they collected shell cases from it. What's more, there's a second ballistics hit for the same profile. There was another shooting come mid-March, about four miles from Archdale Apartments. Cars got shot up in that area. There was no injuries in either of these incidents. These were just random drive-by shootings. With no known suspects at the time, the development is huge. We had now the spent shell casings from our triple homicide scene that we could match up to two of these other incidents. We're thinking the same person probably did this crime. And that's somebody they want to talk to. Detectives narrow their focus to the first drive-by shooting that happened in North Charleston at the Anchor Bar on March 4th. One of the bouncers, who was a witness to the shooting, gave a brief description of the shooter. Just smaller than an average-sized male, not a super heavy build, um, not particularly tall, African-American descent. But when police take a look at the second drive-by shooting that occurred just two weeks later, they get a name. The witness at Hunter's Ridge apartment had been able to identify one of the two individuals involved in that drive-by shooting. Muddy shoe prints made possible by a summer storm and shell casings have led police to a person of interest in the triple murder of the DeVore family. 
he came up frequently in violent encounters. There's a certain level of evil there that I've rarely encountered in my professional career. Detectives from Dorchester County, South Carolina, have been dealing with the summer heat and pop-up storms as they investigate the triple murders of the DeVore family. People don't realize that a police investigation is one of the most weather-dependent jobs there is. This air mass thunderstorm seemingly coming out of nowhere could have destroyed their crime scene, but instead, it gave them a key piece of evidence, those muddy prints. And now they finally have a person of interest after a witness identified a man at a drive-by shooting using the same gun. They called him X. He came up frequently in violent encounters. So he was a suspect because of the nature of this weapon connected to multiple shootings. Could he be the one who left the size nine muddy shoe prints at both crime scenes? That led our detectives to follow up with him to see if he was in any way connected with, number one, the drive-by shooting to verify that, and number two, with this triple homicide. Detectives bring X in for questioning and right away, he says he's not their guy. His claim was he wasn't the shooter, that he wasn't the shooter at any of them. And detectives might believe him. He was a bigger gentleman and uh, a larger man. Didn't really fit the 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, height range. To be sure, they asked to see his shoes. They actually analyzed his shoe prints and his wear patterns to determine if he had anything that was similar to what was discovered at both the apartment scene and the outdoor scene. And they're not a match. Worried about being charged, X tells detectives that although he was there for the two drive-by shootings, someone else did the actual shooting. There's another individual who had a violent streak who was actually the suspect in the two drive-by shootings. And his name was Anthony Sanders. Detectives check Anthony Sanders' criminal record and find that the 25-year-old has a long list of crimes going back to 2002, including drug possession, simple assault, and disorderly conduct. But an arrest in 2004 for kidnapping and sexual assault really piques detectives' interest specifically a criminal sexual conduct with a minor, which obviously met the parameters of the particular case we were investigating. Anthony Sanders also fits the 5'5 height and size 9 shoe that forensic techs deduced from the muddy footprints found at both crime scenes. And when the bouncer from the Anchor Bar shooting picks Sanders out of a photo lineup, they're even more confident. It gives you the probable cause you're looking for to link that weapon to him. Mr. Sanders is starting to look like the suspect in this triple homicide. Almost two weeks after the murders, 
Investigators bring Sanders in for questioning. They were able to detain him and his girlfriend. Detectives question Sanders' girlfriend first. When they ask for her address, they know they're on the right track. His girlfriend would relate to the detectives that she lived at Archdale Forest and that her apartment was one adjacent to where Deanna's body was found. We're just talking a couple apartment buildings across from where the victims resided and where she did. Sanders' girlfriend admits that her boyfriend can be violent, especially when he drinks. Nevertheless, she maintains that Anthony couldn't be involved in any murder. His girlfriend was claiming that he was with her that night, but we were able to trace his cell phone movements. The fact that he placed a call to her just moments after the homicides took place shows the detectives that he was not physically present with her at the time. Why would you be calling her if you were with her? The next morning, detectives finally sit down with Anthony Sanders. They start by asking him about the two March shootings. Initially, he seemed like he was going to cooperate. What is the charge? Discharge and firearm into a building. Excuse me? But Sanders vehemently refuses to admit anything, including owning a gun. Where's the gun? What gun? Your 40 caliber. A 40 caliber. I don't have a gun. But you're not being honest with us. See, we can't we can't help you. I don't have a gun, man. I don't own a gun. Even when they confront him with the real reason he's there, Sanders doesn't budge. If you don't tell us who has the gun, it's going to be life without parole. Like the leash, man. I said what I said already, dude. I want to show you something. But Sanders' only response is to demand a lawyer. He denied everything and at some point requested a lawyer. And at that point, police interrogations have to stop. Police charge Sanders for the March 4th drive-by shooting and apply for search warrants for his home and his DNA. Without the murder weapon or a confession, detectives fear Anthony Sanders might get away with murder. Could a series of muddy shoe prints be the key to the case? The detective's work was not done. They had to now connect Anthony Sanders to the scene of the crime itself. Storms the day before a triple murder gave police important clues about the killer. The ground was moist from prior rains. It allowed us to recover some valuable evidence, particularly a muddy footprint behind the apartment complex and also muddy footprints where mud had been tracked into the residence on the suspect's shoe. If the storms hadn't happened when they did and saturated the ground, the police wouldn't have had any prints at all. Based on those shoe prints and ballistic evidence, investigators have zeroed in on a suspect, 25-year-old Anthony Sanders. We have probable cause now to go search his residence and look for evidence from the triple homicide that occurred on July 10th.
Investigators head to Anthony Sanders' home, and they don't have to look long for evidence. They find unspent 40 caliber ammo that is the same manufacturer as the shell casings at the scene. But at that time, we did not have the weapon. They also find a safe, and once it's opened, detectives are stunned at what they find. It's not often that you save newspaper clippings on a triple homicide unless you actually have some involvement in it. But the biggest nail in his coffin, thanks to the southern summer weather, turned out to be just lying on the floor. A shoe that matched the description, very similar tread pattern, was recovered at his apartment that matched the, the shoe impressions that were recovered at the scene of the triple homicide. We already had him connected to the firearm, but that shoe print connected him to the crime scene specifically. The compiled evidence is more than enough, and investigators charge Anthony Sanders with three counts of first-degree murder. Sealing his fate even more, Two months after Anthony Sanders' arrest, DNA results are in on 14-year-old Deanna DeVore's body. The DNA identifies him to the point that everyone else in the world is excluded but him. Prosecutors inform Sanders' attorneys that they will be pursuing the maximum punishment allowed, death. To avoid this, Sanders agrees to pursue a bench trial instead of a full-blown jury trial. A bench trial is where the judge hears all of the evidence in the case, and the judge then makes not only a ruling of guilt or innocence, but also passes sentence. On March 8, 2010, prosecutors lay out for the judge what they believe happened. They say Sanders most likely encountered Deanna within the apartment complex she unknowingly shared with his girlfriend and became infatuated. He was a power sexual rapist predator. He preyed on younger females, and he enjoyed that power, but he had a violent streak to him. And in the early morning of July 10, 2007, Sanders decided to act on it. Armed with a 40 caliber pistol, he either entered the DeVore home through an unlocked door, or Deanna innocently let him in. After leaving his muddy shoe prints in the foyer, there in the living room, he assaulted the teen. It appears that the brother discovered them and threatened him, told him to get out. They say that's when Sanders realized he's a previous offender. He's already been charged with kidnapping and criminal sexual conduct. So another charge of that nature, he's facing life in prison. They say that's when Sanders savagely beats Jatavius, then shoots him in the face from point-blank range. Then the mom, who obviously, there's a disturbance, and it's after you know midnight in a home. She's going to determine what's going on. And here you have Sanders. She turns to flee, and he shoots her. Meanwhile, they say Deanna ran out of the house. Prosecutors claim Sanders chased her down, leaving his shoe prints everywhere in the rain-soaked, muddy ground. And in the area behind his girlfriend's apartment, he shot the teenager, which caused her to scream and fall. Now the object of his physical desire has now turned into the object of his rage, and he executed her in cold blood. On March 9, 2010, the judge's decision comes back swiftly. 
Anthony Sanders was found guilty of three counts of murder, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. The wound left by the murders of Diane Jatavius and Deanna DeVore will scar their loved ones forever. The family says they think about their loved ones every day, and they're no closer now to understanding why this had to happen. An individual that would commit this type of crime, cold-blooded, heartless, there's a certain level of evil there that I've rarely encountered in my professional career. Anthony Sanders didn't have any care for any human life. He killed those three people, you know, it, and he's where he needs to be. In this case, chaotic local weather beat a path that led to a killer instead of wiping away his tracks. The ability to match his shoes, we could put him at the crime scene, and later the other evidence came back to seal his fate. So weather in this situation was a very big factor. Weather plays a huge role in our ability to investigate these crimes appropriately. 